Hello, and welcome to the Stateside Madness Podcast, the one and only podcast of the official Madness American fan service. I'm Lori, along with my co-host Polly, here to bring you news, reviews, and deep dives into the nutty sound of the British pop band Madness. Welcome to episode four of Stateside Madness. I'm Lori. And I'm Polly. And today we're here to talk about Tomo, Lee J. Thompson. Yes, he is the Madness saxophone player. He's one of their key songwriters. And his birthday is Monday, October 5th. So happy birthday, Lee. Yes, happy birthday, Lee. I... I didn't get you anything. So, yeah, Lee is the saxophone player. Uh, he was born October 5th, 1957 in St. Pancras in London. He was actually named after an American actor named Lee J. Cobb. Uh, Lee J. Cobb was in the movie uh, On the Waterfront. He was in 12 Angry Men, The Exorcist. Uh, so there's an American connection there. And he does have a younger sister named Tracy, who was born in 61. And we mentioned in a previous podcast that Tracy's experience uh, and her pregnancy was the inspiration for the song Embarrassment. Lee, Lee also, I view him as like the sort of unofficial mascot of madness, too. Um, he's certainly a jokester. He's out there. He's well known uh, in the UK. Uh, and that's just not something you typically see from a saxophonist. They're normally behind-the-scenes guy. He's quite visible as a band member and, um, and well-appreciated. So there you have it. Um, I think one of the reasons that Lee is, is my favorite member of Madness is because I, I find that very relatable. Okay, so first of all, he and I are both very short. I did a little bit of digging, and I found out, so he is 5'5", five five, <laughs> same as me. All right, so we're both very short. And I think to compensate for that, we both need, need to be the center of attention. And um, you're absolutely right that, you know, he's always out in the forefront doing wacky things that maybe you wouldn't expect the saxophone player to be doing. Some articles that I've read have actually called Lee the third front man of madness, right? So we have Suggs, we have Chaz Smash, but then you always have Lee who's off doing something, calling attention to himself as well. 
I know that there were a couple times that he was on Top of the Pops where he had something really hilarious planned, but he didn't want to tell anybody because it was going to be a surprise. But as a consequence, the cameras weren't on him. So he would do something that was just completely hilarious and nobody at home got to see it. And so they kept trying to tell him, Lee, you have to tell, you have to tell somebody so we can make sure the camera's on you. Uh, do you know anything about his, his history before he became a saxophone player, Holly? Sure. So uh, as is the theme in a lot of Madness songs, he was up to uh, nothing but trouble for most of his youth. You know, a bit of a uh, bit of a thief, maybe a little pickpocketing in there. Um, his first court appearance at the age of 11. Uh, so by all means, uh, an early achiever as well. So the, the initial uh, band of friends was the three, Lee, Chrissy Boy and Mike Barson. Mike and Chris's parents didn't want them to do anything with Lee because they thought Lee was a bad influence. And, you know, Mike and Chris were also involved in their own little petty criminal activities as well. So the idea that, that this other guy is, is a bad influence is, is interesting. So on his 14th birthday, he did steal some money from a locker room in a hospital uh, from an employee locker. And uh, as a result, he went to a juvenile reform school called Stanford House. And we talked about that in a previous episode because that was the inspiration behind the song, Land of Hope and Glory. Now, um, Lee's father, Frederick Thompson, was not a small time thief. He was a pretty big time thief. He was into warehouses and safe cracking and, and all kinds of uh, very sordid affairs. Uh, and would often be arrested and would often have to go away for, you know, months or years at a time. Uh, Lee's mother, Lillian, used to say, if anyone asks you, tell them your dad's away working on the oil rigs. You know, because she was very clearly embarrassed by this. So it's interesting that Lee's dad is named Frederick Thompson. I kind of wonder if maybe that might have been where the name came from in Drip Fed Fred. I don't know that. I'm speculating. So in addition to the, the, uh, the petty theft as a teen, uh, the three boys often went uh, train hopping together. Uh, they had some adventures. They uh, just kind of hopped on a train around the south of France, which just blows my mind, the idea of teenagers doing that. I cannot picture myself as a teen doing anything like that. I think I would have been terrified. But this for them was just a, a regular adventure. They also got into uh, graffiti art. Uh, they were very early taggers. Uh, Mike Barson was known as Mr. B, so he would tag Mr. B everywhere. Uh, Chrissy Boy, we, that was his, his uh, street name or tag name. And uh, Lee was known as Kix, K-I-X. The other members of the band later on, they, at this time, they didn't know who these three men were, but they used to see the tags all over town, particularly Kix. And there would be like, tags at very high places it's like how how did he get up there how did he do that where where mike or chris would actually have to be holding lee probably by his ankles upside down in order for him to tag the top of some of these buildings so there's kind of a recurring theme here i think you know we we've got the the petty theft we've got the the train hopping we've got the graffiti and the kind of daredevil climbing up high getting to places where other people haven't been there was one incident when he was a teen where I guess uh, he and a friend broke into some famous singer's house and all they did was eat a bowl of cereal. 
And then they just left the dirty dishes in the sink and they left. <laughs> so I, the theme here that I'm seeing over and over is thrill seeking. And it really seems like Lee was always just kind of uh, pushing the envelope there as far as, as getting his kicks, I guess. K-I-X, getting his kicks. <laughs> well, it's interesting to me because then I think as, as, as time went on and I think he stopped with the criminal activity, I think he started to substitute some of the things that he did with madness to kind of replace that, that thrill seeking. You know what I mean? Like being up on a wire on the baggy trousers video, that kind of stuff. Nobody did that kind of stuff. Do you want to talk a little bit about uh, the early days of, of him playing with the band, Polly? Yeah, so um, in the very early days, there was a point even when he was fired from the band, and legend has it, he then sort of taunted them, asking where the saxophone player was. Uh, wouldn't be uncommon, I don't think, with a lot of bands for the petty squabbling to start off right off the bat. And as we spoke in uh, one of the previous podcasts, there was a great deal of people coming, people going from the band, uh, so it would make sense that uh, he would have his point where he was on the outs with him. And you had mentioned previously. And that's what I got. Okay. You, you had mentioned previously uh, <laughs> that, that Suggs and Chas Smash had both been fired from the band at some point as well. So like you said, this is kind of a regular thing. But I can just picture him having been fired, showing up and being out in the audience and yelling, where's the sax player? Where's the sax player? That is just so, so Lee. <laughs> That is so Lee. Yeah, um, of course. So, now it's un, unimaginable, uh, the, the very sound without a sax player. So absolutely. it was integral, maybe just not that early on. And um, so when they were starting off, again, it was just Mike, Chrissy, and, and Lee. And Mike was really the only one that had had formal music lessons. He was a pretty accomplished pianist at that time. So he, Chris, and Lee would hang around uh, in, in one, or, one person's or another's bedroom, and they'd listen to Motown records. And then they'd try to figure out how to play it. I'm not sure exactly what prompted him to decide on the saxophone, but I know that he had said in an interview that all-American R&B I loved had sax on it. So if they were listening to these Motown records, and then that would make sense that that would be what he'd pick up on. Some of his other influences were Andy McKay of Roxy Music, and Davy Payne of Kilborn and the High Roads. And Davy Payne is kind of known for, again, kind of some of the wackier antics that you don't normally expect from a sax player. So I can see there's definitely an inspiration there. I, I, another story that I had read about when Lee was a teen, I guess they used to sneak into venues to see concerts. And that there was one time that he was going in a window because they wanted to see Kilborn and the High Roads. And uh, he got stuck in the window and who should be coming up to the window but Ian Dury. And Lee was just kind of at a loss for words and said something to the effect of, yeah, well, you know, I'm here to see the band. And uh, I don't know if he knew who Ian was at that point. I know he'd heard of the band, but, you know, Ian said, well, you're not going to see him from there, are you? And actually let him down out of the window and let him go into the venue. So I imagine that had to be an interesting story later in their career when they were collaborating together. And Andy McKay of Roxy Music, uh, there's another story that uh, another time that Lee had been busted by the police for sneaking into, I think it was a movie. And uh, he, the police asked him to identify himself and he gave the name Andy McKay. So very, very early on, he was really identifying with, with the, the sax player of Roxy Music. Do you know about his first saxophone? This story's kind of legendary. 
that it might have been hot was that is that the story i'm thinking yeah of? yeah yeah that there was no tr no tr not traceable their manufacturer number was scraped away from it yeah um, so the, the idea that it maybe bought his first saxophone it maybe is uh not entirely accurate it fell off the back of a truck right maybe that's how we got it it's actually depicted in the film Madness, Take It or Leave It. Uh, there's a scene where uh, Lee takes a saxophone. He wants to take a lesson. So he's going to a music teacher and the music teacher picks it up and he looks and he sees the serial numbers filed off. And he's like, oh, well, where'd you get this? He's like, oh, you know, I bought it. I bought it. And the, the music teacher is very suspicious. And he says, well, why don't you go home and find the receipt? And then bring it back and then I'll give you a lesson. So the, it, I don't know how much of that is actually factual. But um, just even very early on, you know, again, this, this, this idea of stealing things that aren't, aren't nailed down, you know, kind of permeates. Um, I know that he couldn't tune his saxophone at first. He didn't know how to tune it. And so their early songs were very much out of tune. And I, so it wasn't my imagination when I heard um, One Step Beyond. I thought, this guy's just slightly out of tune. Well, it turns out he was. And uh, he also said that, when it comes to sax solos, he likes a bit of squeaking. So we do hear that sometimes in some of his sax solos. I'd like to mention one part about him getting his first saxophone in 1975 and then the first recording, albeit a little bit out of tune, in 1979. And knowing people who've taken on saxophone, that's, even though it's four years, that's an incredible amount of time to get as proficient as he did in just about four years. Um, if you've ever been to a middle school band concert and you've seen uh, the proficiency, <laughs> proficiency of uh, kids playing saxophone, it takes a long time to get even listenable. So I think it shows that he maybe turned from uh, his, his life of crime and put his attention into saxophone because he really did get quite good quite quick. Yes, absolutely true. So again, American fans would probably know him best as the mother in the Our House video. Um, he was also one of the washerwomen in the video for the song House of Fun. And see, that's another thing about Lee is that he is not afraid to wear a dress. And there was this kind of like Python-esque kind of humor to their videos, right? If you're familiar with like Monty Python from the mid seventies, that kind of you know guy in drag humor was, was very, very common. Uh, he was the one that was suspended from the crane in, in the baggy trousers video. Uh, I guess he got that idea from a Peter Gabriel concert. Uh, this was back when um, I guess Peter had just left Genesis. You know, he was still very big in the glam rock thing. And he'd gone to a show and Peter was suspended on a, a wire up over the crowd larger than life. And, and so Lee wanted to do something like that. And he did for the baggy trousers video. And I guess the other band members didn't know that that was the plan. I mean, they knew there was a crane, but that one scene in the video, <laughs> you, you know, the scene I'm talking about where it's like he first lifts up and you can see the look on Suggs's face and Suggs just got this look on his face. Like, Holy crap. He, you know, wow. He's really off the ground. So um, it was pretty unexpected to the band too. Uh, they did say in a commentary on one of their DVDs, I don't know how true it is, that they left Lee up there and all went to the pub for a few hours. He, pr he probably didn't think it out 
that much that he would be reliant on other people to make sure it all worked out. So yeah, I could see where they could have left him hanging there, literally hanging there. So uh, another place American fans might know Lee from. Uh, so as we had mentioned in our previous podcast, he did write the band's first single, The Prince. There was a, an animated movie called uh, Shark Tale. Uh, it came out in 2004 with Will Smith. And uh, the song, The Prince, there was a remix of it that was used in a scene in Shark Tale with the Rasta jellyfish that ran a whale wash. So that was the remix of The Prince from the film Shark Tale. And uh, again, that was the first song that Lee wrote with the band. He's really a very, very prolific and very talented songwriter. And I, I feel as a fan, he should be known as much for his songwriting as for his sax playing, definitely. So we've talked in previous episodes about the inspiration for some of his songs. For example, we talked about Overdone, which was essentially a, a, an apology to his mother, for this life of crime, for following his father down that pathway. And we talked about Embarrassment, which was, uh, again, it was a really bouncy kind of fun song, but the lyrics were very sad and very serious about uh, his sister's interracial relationship and his family's reaction. So incidentally, that was an opera singer. Uh, Fiona Jessica Wilson was her name. And actually, that's not one I was uh, familiar with. So hmm. thanks for coming up with that. Yeah, you know, so that was actually from the uh, documentary film One Man's Madness that came out, boy, about a year ago. Let's talk a little bit about what Lee did outside of Madness, because I think Lee is probably the most prolific of all of the band members in terms of his outside projects and his side projects. The Madness split up in 1986. Uh, so Barson felt it was time to move on. So a few of the core members, Suggs, uh, Chaz, Lee, and Chrissy Boy, uh, formed The Madness in 1988. Not my favorite of the, you know, in-between uh, breakup period projects. 
I just think that it was a little bit forced. I felt most of the music that the Madness did on that one album. But it brings up an interesting thing that happens when bands do break up or one band member departs uh, with a lot of different groups is you've got other people who are very talented and very proficient and they're not obligated to stop altogether just because one member of the band does. I think it's a a credit to them that they did try to uh, make a break from the previous iteration and call themselves something different, although I'd argue barely different. Um, You know, this album, The Madness, I've listened to it quite a few times and it's really a very different sound. They really got away from the, the ska pop sound and it's some of the songs almost sound like experimental jazz to me, like almost like a Steely Dan influence. The songwriting there, though, is still really strong. And it's a shame because this album, you know, never really caught on, not even with their hardcore fans, I don't think. And uh, the songwriting is very strong. And uh, there was one single on this album, never really caught on, called I Pronounce You. And again, Lee was the, the songwriter. And I think his lyrics on this are just absolutely gorgeous. And the other thing that was notable is that uh, Lee actually learned to play the flute and is playing the flute on this song. So let's listen to I Pronounce You by The Madness. Mother, father, wake up. You've overlooked one thing. Don't take your plan for four years. Won't get to wear your ring. So that uh, the song is obviously about an arranged marriage, right? The idea that uh, uh, the the bride is very clearly having second thoughts because she has feelings for somebody else. Really, uh, for such a short song, it's a very m- moving kind of story, and not something that you would expect in a pop song at all. Um, so again, you know, we're still seeing Lee's songwriting brilliance shining through here. Very strong on melody, and that's often what makes or breaks a song. Um, So, yeah, very strong songwriting. So then that album was kind of a flop. So they didn't do anything else as The Madness. And it kind of reminded me with that name change. You remember how Talking Heads, after David Byrne left, they became The Heads? It's like that same kind of... I remember it well. Yeah, you know, subtle subtle name change. And then, you know, people just aren't as receptive to the change in the band. So then uh, Chris and Lee went off on one of their little side projects. And so 1990, they formed a band. Now, the band was originally called the Nutty Boys. And they were putting out an album that was called Crunch. But then somehow these two got switched on one of the posters or something. And so then the name of the band became Crunch. 
And then the name of the album became the Nutty Boys. So now they're known as Crunch. Um, they were experimenting with a lot of like sampled sounds. Uh, like they have a sample from an Elvis movie. Uh, there's a sample from uh, Long Shot Kick the Bucket, you know, an old ska song. There's, there's some very interesting samples here. One of the uh, songs that they did as Crunch was actually, it was originally supposed to be a Madness song. I think Suggs might even have a writing credit on this one. Uh, it's called Magic Carpet. So So again, that's another one that I just love. Right. Well, I, I love the lyrics. I love the lyrics to the song. You know, it's just, it, it starts off being very dark and very down, but then this idea, you know, that you've got to make up in your own mind just what it is that you're destined to, you know? It's like, life is what you make it, you know? It's, it turns out to be a very positive, very uplifting song. The one endearing thing about the, the Crunch Project is this, it's definitely Chris and uh, Tomo playing to their strengths. Very fun guys. Uh, very energetic in their songwriting and, you know, stage presence. And the whole project is just fun, start to finish. You know, uh, It's Okay, I'm a Policeman. Definitely a raging, like, dance hall thumper. Absolutely. I mean, it's just so enjoyable, the whole, the entirety of it. Um, I think it was a fantastic project. I'd still love to see more of it. You're absolutely right about their personalities really coming through, both Tamo and, and, and Chris. And in the videos, uh, the Crunch videos, especially It's Okay, I'm a Policeman, I think we're starting to see this kind of character that he's creating that we're going to see later on uh, in, in, in another video. But um, it's, it's, I don't know if it was white makeup or if it was flower on his face and kind of the eye patch and just the weird makeup. And he's really just playing up this whole kind of weird, almost gothy character, you know? It's just really, really playing it to an extreme for effect. And it works. I don't know that anybody else could have pulled that kind of a character off the way Lee can. So they did one album uh, as Crunch. And, and again, that the very, very limited commercial success. So all the, the band members kind of went their separate ways at this point, and Lee had to kind of adjust to uh, life, I guess, mundane life, you know, right? Not, not in a band. Um, he started a landscaping firm, and that didn't go so well. And then for a while, he actually ran a bicycle shop. <laughs> And I, I think he even said in an interview that he worked as a garbage man for about six weeks. His wife got him the job and uh, he lasted all of six weeks. I, I find it kind of curious. It, it's never how you would think uh, a story like that would go. You'd think that uh, 
there was enough success early on that uh, a person could could skate by for quite a while. But I guess I guess not. I guess he had to go back to work. But I, I've always found that pretty surprising. But then something really cool happened. Uh, so they get back together. Yeah. Uh, the band reformed for Madstock. Yeah. And I'm disappointed as an American fan. I had no idea that this had taken place. So 92, this was nowhere near on my radar, right? I had no idea that Madness had gotten back together or that they had done this Madstock show. Hey, there's an idea, Polly. We should do an episode okay. on Madstock. I think we could. I think we should. Of course, there, there was more than one Madstock, so we're going to have to decide probably Madstock 92 because that was the reunion. Yeah, maybe it could be, it could be uh, Madstock festivals and House of Fun Weekender, maybe. All right. I don't know. All right. Yeah. Well, so anyway, that reignited interest in the band. And so then the band started recording again, putting out more albums and now Lee's back in his element. But then there were also some other projects that came about that Lee had some involvement in. So one of them I didn't even know about. My friend Rob was telling me about this the other day. Uh, Lee co-founded the Dance Brigade in 2007. And that was a project with uh, Jenny Mathias from the Bell Stars and then Keith Finch from Butterfield 8. And that was like a, a multimedia ska project. It was merging the music with very high-tech visuals, which in 2007 was still kind of a, a novelty. Yeah, I'm, I'm not overly familiar with Dance Brigade, uh, but uh, definitely the connection with Bell Stars, very interesting band there, uh, you know, known, known for the, uh, the Rain Man soundtrack. But, uh, of course, uh, a lot of their members have uh, roots in British punk. And, uh, yeah, glad to, glad to see that those two factions kind of hooked up. So another project of Lee's, uh, which started in 2011, the Lee Thompson Scott Orchestra. Now, this is one of my favorite projects of his, and not just because... I won an autographed copy of the vinyl LP and a t-shirt. I have the Ooh. vinyl. Yeah, I have the vinyl LP in my closet. <laughs> I haven't played vinyl since about 1990. I don't have a turntable, but it sits in my closet waiting, you know, in a place where it's safe. It's locked in a, a safe box. Nobody can take my autographed copy of the Lee Thompson Scott Orchestra. Um, the album, by the way, is uh, The Benevolence of Sister Mary Ignatius. And this is a really cool project. And one of the things that I really appreciate about Lee is that uh, he always tries to get the best musicians. So um, we have uh, on this album, one of the musicians is Seamus Began. You know who Seamus Began is, Polly, don't you? I do. Uh, thanks for reminding me. So he, he took over for Barson. Yeah. Yeah, uh, after Mike Barson left after uh, the Keep Moving album, Seamus took over on keyboard. So he was a member of Madness for a while. And then uh, the piano player, um, Louis Vaus. He is absolutely so talented. He's a, a, a piano player. He's a songwriter. He's a painter. Um, I, I kind of follow him on Facebook and just his artwork is just absolutely amazing. So, and all the other artists on this project too. I know um, 
Darren Fordham, his uh, Lee's brother-in-law, I know he was involved in this as well. And um, getting really back to his ska roots, you know, playing a lot of like old Jamaican ska uh, hits, had a lot of guest artists like uh, Biddy McLean and, and Biddy McLean actually did the vocals on this clip here that we're going to listen to called Fu Manchu. Yeah, a little bit about the, well, my opinion, I guess, on uh, the Lee Thompson Ska Orchestra. Ska, in general, is just built for expanding out and adding a lot of other instrumentation to. Jules Holland has a great Ska Orchestra. It's just, it's just proven that uh, songs that are so rhythmic and so strong on melody you can just keep piling on the instruments and it never really goes wrong. And um, I just love Fu Manchu. I love Desmond Decker. I think uh, Fu Manchu is probably his strongest song. And Biddy McLean is just such a fantastic singer. Um, if you get a chance, listen to his cover of the Fats Domino song, It Keeps Raining. It's just fantastic. He's, he's really drives home that lover's rock style of reggae and uh, couldn't ask for a better person to be singing Fu Manchu. I just love it. I'll have to check it out. Thanks for the recommendation. Um, from my perspective, again, you know, coming at it as a city girl, most Americans don't seem to know what ska is. Uh, I know uh, my husband and I were going on vacation to Jamaica and my auntie, says, oh, did you know that Jamaican music is called ska? That was a question on one of my crossword puzzles. <laughs> and, and I just kind of laughed. <laughs> oh, auntie. Oh, auntie. But uh, I mean, I think American audiences know ska punk. You know, we have a lot of ska punk bands That's here. Right. But I, I think most American audiences, like you mentioned Desmond Decker, I, I don't know how many Americans will actually know who that is, which is really kind of a shame because we are so close geographically to Jamaica, you know, and the reggae movement really caught on here. I mean, everybody knows Bob Marley and the Whalers, right? But I, it just kind of surprises me that, that ska never really caught on much here. Has that been your experience too or no? Because you're, no. you're... 
Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm always having to, uh, I would say, correct people in conflating ska and reggae. Um, to me, it's not fundamentally different than uh, saying all hard rock is heavy metal. They're sort of just intertwined genres with a lot of similarities. Uh, but yeah, you're right. Bob Marley made reggae famous, but he wasn't, uh, what he was famous for was really well-produced and sort of a, a variation on reggae itself. So even then, yeah, Americans don't have a great understanding of Jamaican music. And it is a shame. I wouldn't have been into it myself had it not been for the Sky Revival. Um, it was many, many years later where I just started digging into Trojan records and, and listening to Scott. And uh, yeah, I mean, it goes back decades and decades and people really should take a listen. So speaking of Scott, there's one other uh, recent project of Lee's that I think is noteworthy. I mean, he has done uh, some guests on some other songs. Like I know he guested on one song by the specials. There are a few other places, but uh, there is a, a, a band called The Silencers, and that's The Silencers with a Z, because I guess there is another band out there called yeah, The there Silencers. Yeah. And um, so they released uh, an album in 2018 called Better Days, and it's The Silencers featuring Lee Thompson. And again, it's a lot of uh, ska music. And um, one of the songs that I absolutely love on this album is called Don Logan. So let's listen to that one. Okay, so so quick note, uh, you know, about Lee. So uh, he met his wife, Debbie Fordham, at a dance in January 1974. He married her 10 years later in 84. They've been together ever since. So there is some stability in this man's life, right? It wasn't all, you know, uh, broken home and, and, and arrests and petty theft and stuff. Uh, they have three adult children named Tuesday, Daly and Kai. I know they have several grandchildren. I think one of Lee's grandchildren actually uh, took the stage during one of the encores at a recent Madness show. So um, he's definitely he's settled well into you know family life and and, and being the patriarch of this the the Thompson clan. So uh, good on him. Yes, and and Debbie, as many stateside Madness. Uh, friends will know, uh, made a brief appearance in a, in a video that Lee sent to us for us at the airport. So look for that on Stateside Madness. That's right. So our, our listeners, don't forget, we're not just a podcast. We have our website, statesidemadness.com. 
We are on Facebook. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. And soon we will be on Spotify. That's right. I'm, I'm working diligently on that right now. And by diligently, I mean, I've actually put it off. But let's make it an agreement that we'll get to that very, very soon. And we're going to be taking submissions for songs to populate and curate that playlist. Awesome. And uh, so uh, for this episode, Polly, I asked you to come up with your uh, top five Lee Thompson songs, and I came up with mine. So we're going to compare and we're going to listen to our top fives and talk about them a little bit. But I think that might be a good starting point for our, our Stateside Madness Spotify. Maybe we could pick two or three of these songs of our top Lee Thompson songs and start a playlist. Just a thought. I think that sounds good. Cool. All right. So Polly, tell us about your number five pick. All right. Drew Fed Fred just a huge fan of Ian Dury. I find this a really compelling and fun song. Uh, it hits on a lot of madness themes about larceny and um, criminality, but very fun. It's almost like a mini play. Uh, I've got a few people uh, playing or singing different parts in it. Another one just moves right along. Very fun song. And uh, a newer one. Uh, so that's a little unlike my taste to pick something so relatively new. Um, but why don't we take a listen? We want Freddy for a leader. Freddy is a man of class. We want Freddy for a leader. Oh, stand, stand and raise your champagne glass. Gentlemen, assassins and ladies of the night. I call upon you this evening in the hope of shedding some light. I can't go into detail or finger unfounded fools, but there are some here amongst us that are not playing to the rules. I've rounded up the lowlife and local CID, offered a free massage, or else the third degree. There is no simple solution in this life we lead, so make things easy for yourself till the baronage can see. All right, so in Drip Fed Fred, uh, you can hear the different parts going on where there's Ian uh, playing the hoodlum, uh, there's Chaz playing Freddy, uh, Lee is the TV announcer, and Suggs being Reverend Green. Um, so it's a little bit of, uh, yeah, that theater, a little bit of a story going on there, a little bit of a mystery, although the mystery is not that much of a mystery. I guess that Suggs or Reverend Green did it in the end. Um, yeah, but I love it. Fantastic song. Well, speaking of criminal activity, my number five is uh, actually Crunch. It's okay, I'm a policeman. So we kind of have the opposite side here. And it, it's interesting because if you ever saw the music videos for either Drip Fed Fred or It's Okay, I'm a Policeman, 
it almost seems like Lee's playing the same character. But, uh, and, and it's okay, I'm a policeman. He's, he's on the, ostensibly the good side of the law. But even then, this character is a little bit mm, questionable. So, it's okay, I'm a policeman. So I had to put one crunch song in there, Polly. I just think that that song is so much fun. It's yeah, almost bordering on rap, what Lee is trying to do with, with some of the vocals. But it's, it's just a fun, fun song. And it's impossible for me to stay in a bad mood when I hear that song. So it's okay, I'm a policeman. That's the guys doing what they do best. Yeah. So Polly, your number four choice really surprised me. I was not expecting this. You want to talk about your number four? Sure. Uh, so number four for me is Fireball XL5. And it's just because it is such a ranting, high energy, spastic song, which I absolutely love. And I just think there's a lot in the delivery. It's, I don't know, there's something about it that's just very appealing to me. I think it's not reminiscent of, because it would have come out before, but uh, if anybody's f familiar with Ministries, Jesus Built My Hot Rod, very same delivery, very um, just out there lyrically, a very, just a peculiar song. I think it's about coveting a toy, but honestly, I don't know. I'm not one of those guys who deliberates about lyrics. Um, but of course, there is um, the uh, similarity between uh, the song title and then the, the television show in Britain, Fireball XL5, which I don't know really if that's the basis for the song, somebody out there does. So by all means, enlighten me and tell me if I'm onto something or if I'm just way off, but it's, it's just a fantastic fun song. I saved a little bit of money from Christmas come while well, my birthday nearly due. I'm dressing up as guy in a shopping arcade of blue, a penny for a boy named Blue. I see the advertised on TV shows flashed up on the evening news. My local MP said I should grin and bear it, but I'd rather go and blow her fuse. the the b-side wasn't it to the sun in the rain the single the sun in the rain 
Because I remember the video. I, from, I don't remember. The reason I think it might have been is because I remember the video for the sun and the rain. And at one point, Lee is on skis and he has goggles on and he has a rocket strapped to his back that says XL5. So I think that was a shout out to, uh, to the B side of the single when they did that. And you mentioned, yeah, ministry, okay. you mentioned ministry and, you know, ministry, Chicago band. I'm a Chicago girl. <gasps> love that's ministry. A great Chicago band. Love ministry. Um, the, that's interesting because I didn't make the connection with ministry. I always thought it reminded me of Primus. Do you remember Primus? Like Jerry no, I, was a race car driver. I, oh, I, I do. I, I could definitely see it. And then but there's this, Rocket Rocket 88. So my number four, I, I, I've already spent a lot of time on this in uh, our last episode, is embarrassment. So um, let's listen to it again, but I'm not going to talk a whole heck of a lot about it because I feel like I really, uh, I don't want to repeat myself. I want our listeners to listen to the old episode. So my number four is embarrassment. Yes, an embarrassment to living endorsement. The intention that you have booked was an intention that was overlooked. I say, stay away. Again, at the risk of repeating myself, because I know I said a lot of this in our episode about the album, absolutely. I just, I I think this is just such beautiful songwriting, such beautiful lyrics, this universal theme of doing something that to your parents is just so horrendous that you're going to be disowned. And I think that that's a relatable theme, unfortunately, for a lot of people. Absolutely. And again, just absolutely one of their strongest songs. Definitely. All right. So now our number threes, Polly, what's your number three Lee Thompson song? Okay. So I picked house of fun. It just seems like a, a, it's such a iconic song of theirs. It couldn't be off the list. So I said, why don't I choose that? And um, great again, thematically uh, about the agonizing chore of a young man buying condoms very nuanced in the delivery of the lyrics uh not particularly subtle but a great take on what it's like to be a young man uh just love the song absolutely fantastic
House of Fun has been one of my favorites ever since I first saw it on MTV. Uh, and the videos just uh, goes with it. it. Absolutely. I mean, I just visualize it. The boys on the roller coaster in the amusement park or in, in the salon getting their haircuts, you know, and, and it's just such a fun video. And I remember seeing that um, maybe when I was about, you know, eight or nine and thinking, these guys seem like they'd be a lot of fun to, to hang out with, you know? So um, good choice, Polly. Very good choice for number three. Well, thank you. Um, so my number three is uh, Love Struck. Let's listen to that one. Staggering home, the headlights throw a shadow up and upon friends and loved ones that have done no wrong, but no longer mean anything to me. Oh, am I mumbling on into a crystal glass that echoes a song? The enticement invites you along a path of exterior. But come the morning, shivering and contorting to border on the brink for just another sinkhole. My foundation, a pick on my relations, put me on probation. Oh, I'll take Again, with this kind of song, we have these, these lyrics that, that Lee is just so, so amazing with. Th this song, I guess, is about uh, drunkenness, right? Staggering home and, and maybe not being completely aware of, of everything that's going on. But then also there's kind of this sadness to it. This idea of um, uh, even the cab fare has been and gone, all these friendships that you've lost discarded you know whatever and just kind of trying to find trying to find comfort in the bottom of a bottle but even then again with this sad sad subject it's just such a catchy pop song you know the piano and 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 it, it just it's a fun song even despite the the very sad subject matter yeah it falls into one of the the madness themes it's another great Madness drinking song. So what's your number two? Okay, well, <clears throat> it would have to be The Prince. Um, 
I like Madness, a huge Prince Buster fan. And uh, we've spoken a bunch about the Prince already. Um, so I won't go over that. But super strong, super fun. A lot of the uh, name dropping in it. Uh, a great homage to their um, inspiration and just classic madness. Well, so we're going from one end of the spectrum to the other. You went back to the very, very beginning of Madness's career with the Prince. And I am going back to, I think it was 2012. So my number two is NW5. So NW5, for American listeners, it's a postal code. So it's kind of the equivalent of a zip code. So it's, it's a, a, a shout out to where they grew up, where they used to live. But specifically, it seems like this relationship with one person, the idea that, you know, they used to be very close. And I think that, you know, they've kind of grown apart, but that he still he still feels something there. You know what I mean? The idea, you know, I would give you everything just for the song you sing. Uh, and again, just these beautiful, beautiful lyrics. I mean, this man is a, has the soul of a poet, Lee does, to, to write something so, uh, so beautifully profound. And the chorus is just a really catchy pop chorus too. I mean, it. Well, well there's at least some things online um, suggesting that it's uh, thematically, it's about a relationship with an old friend that got into drugs and eventually died. Oh. But a little post somebody made on one of those lyrics websites could be accurate, could not be accurate. But like I said, I don't tend to obsess about lyrics or themes. I'm all about sound. Um, 
I don't trust the lyric sites, particularly not when it comes to NW5, because most of the lyric sites, they all seem to copy off of each other. And they have, um, yeah. the, the lyric sites all say tarpaulin eyes, like a tarp. That makes no sense. Uh, if you listen to it very closely, it sounds like taut, pallid eyes, which makes a lot more sense. But uh, all of the lyrics sites say tarpaulin. That makes no sense. And then they all just copy it off of each other. And then people say, oh, that must be the lyric. That makes no sense. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and I guess what I'll say about NW5, too, is uh, that's, you know, that's about the, the reformation of the band, uh, about that time. And um, Norton Folgate. So Chrissy had been out of the band. Chrissy was back in the band. Um, they re-recorded this song uh, to include Chris on it. Originally, uh, Kevin Burdett, I guess, did the first takes uh, playing guitar on that. So there's two versions out there, too. I think it was a single at one point, and then they decided to include it on Norton Fulgate. Very solid song. Absolutely love it. Okay. So that brings us to number one. And Polly, I was surprised by your choice of number one. I think it's a really good choice. But tell us about your number one. So, so my number one pick would be Calling Cards. Okay. I really tend to gravitate towards songs that everybody can relate to and find something in that kind of draws all our humanity together. And if there's one thing I know for certain, we've all danced around in our underpants saying, I've been a naughty boy. And what's not to love about that? I've been a naughty boy. We don't want to mock each other's card except the one you need. I need you and your return to help build my company. My twins work brighten on a sunny day to cover town with a shake of a hand. On a high come back, cause I don't come back, we're the working in the promised land. Ooh, I was a pair of naughty boys. Ooh, I've been a naughty boy. Yellow Rose, Sophia, India Bank, the Bank of Tanks, United Bank, the Primo's Bank. I think it's a fun song. And if you listen very closely, it seems to be about uh, a, a gang of thieves that is stealing credit cards out of the mail. And that's why, you know, they're, they're calling out the different names of the banks, you know, William and Glynis and, and the Bank of Scotland and all that kind of stuff. So it's all about this criminal enterprise. Of course, now I have this, this image of, of you dancing around in your underpants saying you've been a naughty boy. So thank you for that. <laughs> You're, you're welcome. I, I, I'm a giver. <laughs> Always keeping it classy at Stateside Madness. All right. All right. Well, I, I, my, my, uh, my number one is probably just as classy. <laughs> um, I chose Dust Devil. So let's listen to that one.
I love this song. I, he co-wrote this with, with Woody Woodgate, uh, the, the drummer, and we're going to do an episode on him in two weeks. So you might hear this song again in a couple of weeks. But, um, you know, there, there's a couple things here. Again, we have kind of this, this Lee uh, imagery. You know, he talks about she keeps a gizmo under her pillow. Yeah, okay, maybe that's a little risque, but I like it because it's like this idea, I'm picturing this young woman who doesn't need a man, right? She doesn't need a man. She's um, working, she works, she, she takes care of everything. She's like this human cyclone, you know, just charging through life and, and uh, paying her rent and, and, and just like a force of nature. And um, I that's why I like this song. I mean, I don't want to say that it's my theme song because that might be a little, little odd, but I really, really relate to this song. This is my favorite song that Lee has co-written. Yeah, I, I love the song too. And it's, it's what um, got me to continue to listen to Norton Fullgate. Not that I wasn't going to or wasn't enthralled by it when I got it, but wow, what a, just a fantastic, uh, song really he groove heavy, um, which is a, you know not always uh, a madness thing. Just fantastic. Uh, the remix by uh, Ashley Beetlebox, I think he might have another name in there, but uh, really, really dance worthy, club worthy song. Um, and the and a kind of cool video too with Jamie Winstone. And Theon Greyjoy in it. I'm sure he has a real name, but I'm just going to call him Theon Greyjoy or Reek. Uh, yeah, great song and a good choice. You know, I don't think I've ever seen the video. I mean, I've seen the the video as part of the the Norton Folgate uh, DVD, but I don't know if that's the same video that you're talking about. I'm going to have to look for this. Interesting. No, no, they're they're running around. They're running around with a shopping cart. So Theon Greyjoy, Alfie Allen, okay. uh, Lily Allen's brother, and the guy from Game of Thrones. He's he's in it. And uh, Jamie Winstone, who is uh, uh, Ray or Roy Winstone, the the actor's daughter, and I believe an actor in her own right. Uh, yeah, it's just them running around, uh, having fun as two young kids in love kind of thing. Bit of a choppy video, uh, but yeah, take a look. Pretty cool. You know, as soon as we log out, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go look for that video. So that is our top five, our tribute to the madness uh, genius songwriter, Lee Thompson. I don't think that I'm, I'm using that word very lightly there. I think it applies in this case. Um, and Lee's birthday again is Monday. He is going to be 63 on October 5th. So happy birthday, Lee. Yes. Uh, have a happy birthday, Lee. All right. So we're going to leave you with uh, a song by the Lee Thompson Scott Orchestra, again, with the very talented Louis Faust on piano. This is called Sit Down and Wonder. This was actually the uh, theme song for the film One Man's Madness, which was a documentary film about Lee Thompson. As I mentioned, in two weeks, we're going to do an episode on the drummer, Dan Woodgate. Woody! So that should be a fun episode as well. I have no idea what we're going to talk about. <laughs> we'll come up with something. We will. We always do. All right. Well, Polly, thank you. It's been fun. Thank you. I had fun as well. 
All right. To all our listeners, thanks for listening. And uh, check us out on statesidemadness.com. Please do. All right. Good night for me. Good night. Last night